or a grandma to be in the house. My wife is going to be a grandma. That means I'm going to be a grandpa, by the way, in case anybody didn't catch it. Anyway, I want to talk today about freedom. I wanted to uh, make this our fourth, and I believe it will be the final, in a series of freedom messages that just kind of worked itself out through the month of, month of July. And uh, when we begin to realize, as the sum of the songs that we sang today told us, that when we realize that the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have in this life, it's liberating if we would just really comprehend it and realize it and comprehend what it really means for us. When we realize that we have to give freedom in order to gain freedom, it puts a little bit of responsibility on us that we have to make sure that we're doing what we have to do to live righteously in order to qualify for the freedoms that God gives. Because, you know, God doesn't give freedom to everybody. He only gives freedom to those that want freedom. There's a lot of people in this life that say they want it, but they're not willing to live to receive it. Amen? We have to live a lifestyle of wanting freedom so that we can have freedom. And we're going to talk a little bit about that more today. The first week... We talked about freedom in Christ. We talked about freedom from our bondages that so easily entangle us. We talked about three major areas, pull of the past, pain of the paralysis of the present, and fear of the future, and how significant it was that we had to get through those. And if you want to listen to that message, it's going to be on the website soon. The second week we talked about freedom living and that how freedom living is a choice, that freedom living requires a commitment it's not a life of legalism. It, rather, it's an intentional lifestyle of holiness and godly living, something what we talked about today in Sunday school, that we choose. It's an intentional lifestyle to live a holy life that in turn gives us a free life. And then last week, last week we talked about freedom responsibilities and that freedom comes with a price. Someone paid the price for us, and that was Jesus Christ. And that we then can have freedom, but then it comes to us to maintain the price of freedom so that we can pass it on to our generations and generations beyond that. We talked about the progression of sin and how once we had hard set rules and how we have through our, our compromising lifestyles, how we've taken the do's and the don'ts of legalism and rather than coming to the final or to, to the, to the um, middle, the balance of it, we've taken it to the extreme of anything goes. And when anything goes, that's not freedom. When, when anything goes, when, when there is no wrong, that's not freedom. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But we talked about that last week as well. We talked about how we are responsible for our brothers and our sisters and that we are warned very seriously to be careful. Like we are warned today to be careful that we don't abuse our freedoms, that we don't abuse and we don't become a stumbling block to others in our lifestyle of so-called Christian freedom, that we actually become a stumbling block for those that are really trying, the babes in Christ that are really trying to figure it out. That us old, mature Christians who think we have freedoms to do what we want to do, how that can become really an, a stumbling block to the babes. And we're responsible for that. Understand 
that when you come to Christ and when you are in front of Christ at Judgment Day and he says, what did you do your lifestyle? If you abused your freedoms and if it hurt a brother or if it hurt a child, the Bible says it would be better that you had a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the bottom of the ocean or even worse yet, better that you wouldn't have been born. So understand the significance and the serious of freedoms and how it is that we have to live in them, but yet not abuse them. Today, we're going to continue talking about how we can experience freedom, how we can experience freedom and what that means. And there's five major areas I want to talk about. I want to talk about freedom and the joy of the Lord. I want to talk about freedom to use the gifts that God has given us, that we are free to serve, that we're free to worship. And lastly, that we're free to live as Christ, fully pleasing to God. With those five areas, we will be able to experience freedom. Now, let's, let's discuss freedom a little bit and how we would define it. Imagine through some weird way that you were given a death sentence for something that you did or did not do. The fact is, you're going to die a terrible, painful death. And by the way, you don't know when you're going to die. Or how it will be, or by whom. Therefore, you cannot trust anyone. It could be the person walking down the street, or the person in the grocery store, or it could be that car coming at you head on. It could be anyone, anytime. You don't have any idea. All you know is that someone is going to torture you and kill you. How would you feel? And how would you live your life? Are some people living their life like that already? <laughs> But imagine that was your lot in life. Imagine that's all you had to look forward to. Imagine that you knew that you were going to die at some point in time by somebody's hand. You were going to die a terrible, horrific, terrible, painful death. And just when you can't handle it any longer, just when it's just got you to the point of no return and you're at the brink, you cannot handle that pressure any longer. You get a reprieve. Someone who you have never met before hears about your plight and out of the blue, without any warning or any reason, they pay the penalty for you and you no longer have to die that death that was in your future. And not only have they arranged your life, but they, but they have arranged, arranged a retirement package beyond anything that you can imagine. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do to have them step in and to pay your price is to accept it and then live your life in appreciation of it. Meaning that you are willing to help other people that, you, that were in a similar situation that you were in, that you are to tell them how their life can be spared just like yours was, that you can show them what it is to live a life of freedom from the fear of death, and that you can show them how to experience this same freedom. How would that make you feel? Let me ask you a better question. How does that make you feel? Because that's exactly what is happening in your life. We, as natural man, that, is, that was our, our plight. We had nothing to look forward to besides death. Forever. And it was horrific. And it was torturous. And it would never end. It's called hell. Do you hear me? It's called hell. That's what natural man has in store for them. It's not a story. It's not a what if. It is reality. Now, what has happened then is a person that you never knew came and took your place. And that's called Jesus Christ. 
He came and he took your place on a, on, a, on a cross and he bore horrific pain, torture, ridicule, major sacrifice, and he came to take my place. And he came to take your place. Now, how does that make you feel? <laughs> does that give you any type of freedom in your life? Do you feel like maybe a heavy load has been taken off your shoulders? Amen. Yes, we should. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 says, You see, at just the right time, <laughs> timing is everything, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We could go home. We could go home and experience freedom in that. Do you get, do you get it? Do you, can you grasp it? But not only did Jesus just die for us and take our place in this horrible death, he did it before we, we were even friends. We didn't even have to clean ourselves up for this. We came in our filth. We came in our natural man, and he did it for us anyways. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up before you come to Christ. In fact, if you do, you're probably not coming to Christ. You're coming to a religion. And we're not talking about religion. We're talking relationships here. Relationships come as you are, and He will then clean you up as you are and restore you and set you in high places because He is God. And He can do that. No religion can do that. No Buddha can do that. No Hindu religion can do that. No Muslim relationship can do that. It is the only the relationship with Jesus Christ and that He would die for us like that. So now that we have that, now we have that experiential relationship, how do you feel? How are you living? If you're like most people, we have a hard time receiving and accepting a gift without feeling some sort of guilt or a sense that we have to earn it. But this gift of forgiveness is totally 100% free. There's nothing I can do to earn this. Nothing you can do to earn this, the gift. And then, because of that, we then should have no condemnation, as it says in Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is the definition of freedom. Hallelujah. That Jesus came, that he gave us that freedom so that I don't have to. I just have to accept it and walk in it. And so I want to encourage you today. I want you, I want you to encourage to, to concentrate on the joy of the freedom experience. Freedom experience. Now let's talk about freedom. What really is it? What really is it? Is freedom being able to do whatever you want to do? Is it without restraint? If I am free to do whatever I want to do, meaning that I don't need laws or boundaries, is that freedom? No, that's not. That's chaos. That's anarchy. 
That is, that is a life of, or that is a society that is not going to function. If I decide that I'm going to drive downtown and I'm not going to stop at the red light, but because I'm a free man, I'm going to drive right through that red light, what am I risking? Yeah, I'm risking death. I'm risking my life. So freedoms do not come without boundaries. In fact, we have to live in boundaries. That is true freedom, and I want to make sure we understand that. It says in Romans 13, 1 through 6, read with me, this is a long one, but we need to understand this because so many times we think that freedom means no restrictions. And that's not freedom. That's anarchy, and that's chaos. And it's not going to last very long if you think you can live that way. Romans 13, chapters one, uh, verses 1 through 6, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God who has instituted it. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers who hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So do you want to be free from fear of one in the authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So this passage clearly tells us, as human beings, that God created beings in an order to be, ser- uh, to be managed, to be controlled, to be under some type of a, of a guidance. We are to be governed. We are not free spirits. We are not those that we can just go and do as we please without consequences. That's not the way God created us. We're created to be governed. And Jesus is also pointing out that the freedom of being responsible and being held accountable is in our choice. It's in our choice. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. Now this is talking about money, but this could talk about everything when it comes good or evil. It says, Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But you cannot serve both God and Satan. You cannot serve both a God on Sunday morning and then your life on Monday morning the way you want to live it. You cannot serve two masters. We are going to serve someone. Understand that. You are created to serve something or someone. We cannot escape that. That is in our nature. It's in our natural man. You will serve something. Your choice is what do you serve? Do you serve God? Or do you serve the prince of this earth, the prince of this air, the prince of this world? You will have to make a choice. So that's just understanding what authority is and what that means and what freedom it really is. It's not just living to do what I want. It is living with the recognition that I must make a choice to which freedom I'm going to live under, worldly freedom or spiritual freedom. And worldly freedom is really not freedom at all. It's really worldly bondage. It's living, when you live by the world's sense of obligation or responsibilities, you're living in a form of bondage. 
Let's just admit it. This is what it is. So let's talk about some of those areas in our freedom experience. Let's talk about the joy of the Lord. Let's talk about that. Because, you know, we can't be free. And if we're really free, there is going to be joy. There just is. In the book of Nehemiah, I want to talk just briefly. The the story spanned 13 years. The book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was impressed by God to go back and rebuild rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. But he did that with a lot of opposition. Actually, when he got into it, he had to arm himself and his workers because he was being attacked. Because there was a, there was a, a, a group of people that didn't want that wall rebuilt. So he had to protect himself as he was building the wall. So he had a lot of opposition. In your life today, you have a lot of opposition in your life. You're building a wall around your life of Christian freedom. Now, we assume, most of the time we assume walls with bondage. But yet, in this situation, I think we can put a Christian wall around us because, you know, when I pray for my kids, I pray that the angels, that God would administer angels to protect them, to put a hedge about them, to put a wall around my kids and around my family so that the enemy can't get to them. So walls can be good things. They don't always have, they don't always, uh, they don't always mean bad. A wall can be a good thing. It can be a hedge of protection. And that's what Nehemiah was building around the city of Jerusalem, a hedge of protection. And he was being, um, he was being opposed in that. In our life, when we build up walls of protection around, around our life, the devil is opposing that. And he's coming against it. And he's trying to tear it down. So Nehemiah realized that. And it took him 13 years. The reason the 13 years is important in my, my mind is because we're such a fast civilization. We like everything right now. And when things take time, we get upset with that. Speaking of time, oh my goodness. We get upset with that. Denny's not here, so I can preach longer. No, I want to joke. My wife said no, so I got to listen to Grandma. But Nehemiah said, and this is the thing that I think that is so important that we use this scripture a lot. And I, the reason I said all that is to set the, the premise for where this where this verse comes from. Nehemiah, chapter eight, verses ten. He says, Nehemiah said, "Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared." This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, even in the midst of your problems of building the walls that you're you're supposed to do. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is that joy? What is that joy? The joy of the Lord is experiencing the freedoms that comes with serving God after we receive his freedom of salvation. We have to um, recognize the, the significant level of where we were at so that we can recognize the significant level of where we're going. When you recognize what your plight was as that story that we said at the very beginning of that man that only had death to look forward to, and not just a, a simple death, but a torturous death. When we, when we recognize that, now we're be exchanged with that 
to life, when we can really embrace that and recognize that significance, that gives us joy. Joy. Happiness is not joy. Happiness is not joy. Happiness is based on our happenstance or our circumstance. Joy, rather, is a benefit of having a relationship with the joy giver. And that's Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to be happy to be joyful. Because I'm not happy all the time. Are you? I don't like my situations in life all the time. I don't enjoy all those sometimes. But I can still have the joy of the Lord because the joy comes from within. The joy is a result of the relationship I have with the joy giver, not the happenstance of my life. And there's a significant difference. The world confuses it all the time. It says if you're not happy, you're not joyful. That's not true. I can, be, I can have the joy of the Lord. In fact, I need to have the joy of the Lord because that's where I get my strength from. When I recognize the significance of where that joy comes from, then there is nothing in this life that can take that away from me. My circumstances change all the time. My feelings change all the time. If I, left, if I lived my life in a, in, a, in a sense of feelings, I would be on a roller coaster ride. And many of us are. Many of us are having really high days and really low days. And that's not Christian living at its fullest. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that's not, at your, that's not where God is intending you to live. He wants you to live at a level up here. Okay? Not necessarily up here, because you know what happens on the mountaintops? They're experiences. A mountaintop is an experience. It's not a lifestyle. Nothing grows on the mountaintop. It's rock. It's snow. It's barren on the mountaintop. You get a great view, but you can't live there very long. You have to come down into living in the valley a little bit. You have to live where the sustenance is. And I'm not saying we live in valleys, but we have to find that middle, that, that middle ground where we can live our life in consistency and the joy of the Lord and not be on a constant up and a constant down. Nobody likes to, nobody likes to, to come into the job or wake up in the morning with your spouse or see your kids and not know who they're going to be that day. Nobody likes to be around a moody person that you don't know if they had a good day or a bad day. You want to be around people that are consistent people that have the joy of their Lord is their strength. And then with that, you know what happens? You become effective and you become relevant. You become heavenly effective through earthly relevance when you live in the joy of the Lord. And I'm not talking about TV evangelists, and I'm not talking about people that just want to give you that, that emotional high that their whole intent is to make you feel good when you walk out the door or when you turn off the TV. Because if all they're doing is making you feel good for that moment in time, as soon as you get in the parking lot and somebody cuts you off, you've lost your joy. You've lost your happiness because all of a sudden you're back in the flesh. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about understanding who the joy giver is. And the joy giver is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's talk about use of gifts. We're free to use our gifts. And this is an area that causes a lot of confusion in Christian circles and one that we really need to be free in because we are all gifted by God to do specific things that he wants us to do. And understand this, that God would never ask me to do something that I'm not gifted to do. But yet, sometimes, though, we think we need to do everything. 
Sometimes I think I have to do everything in order to be pleasing to God. Well, let me free you from that. You don't have to do everything. You do the things that God has gifted you in, how he has gifted you, to give the strength that you need to have. It's no different than me telling, giving my son Tyler, our grass is really long and needs to be mowed, so I give Tyler a chainsaw. Tyler, go mow the grass with a chainsaw. Could the chainsaw, is the chainsaw powerful enough to mow the grass? Yeah, it's powerful enough, but is it going to be effective? No, because I'm giving him the wrong gift to do the job. I'm giving him the wrong tool. I give him a lawnmower with sharp blades, and he mows the grass very nicely. So we have to make sure then that when we are doing what God asks us to do, that we operate in the gifts that God has given us to work in. You're not me, and I'm not you. And I don't have to do what you do, and you don't have to do what I do. You do what God gifts you to do so that you can live in the freedom of that gift, not in condemnation about not able to do what everybody else does. You just do what you do. You do it well. Do the best of your ability. If it's to teach, teach. If it's to govern, govern. If it's to serve, serve. In fact, there's even a scripture that talks about it. Can you believe it? The Bible even talks about this. It says in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's a good recommendation. That's a be careful word right there. Right, Bert? Be careful. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many, many members and these Whoa. Skip the page. And these members do not allow all to have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. Did you hear that? We're not all gifted the same. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it for in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is a very liberating passage of Scripture. This is not a one-gift-fits-all Scripture. You have different gifts. You operate in how you are gifted and be free in doing that. You know why this is so important for me? Is because this is one I've struggled with for a long time. This has been a freeing passage for me. I don't have to be like everybody else. I don't have to duplicate a ministry. This church does not have to be like any other church. This church is the way this church is going to be because God ordained this church to be who it is with the people that we have in this church to do what this church needs to do. And I need to be the pastor that that I need to do. And I need to be the employer that I need to be. And I need to be the husband and the father that I need to be. Not like anybody else. It's freeing. It's liberating. We're, to free, we're free to serve and win others for Christ. It's interesting to note that to really be free, we have to become slaves. Isn't it? To be free, we have to become slaves. We have to become bond slaves, which means that we are willing, willingly giving of our service or servitude for others. Not for pay, not to be paid, but for service. 1 Corinthians 9:19 9, says, For though I am free from all, 
I have made myself a servant to all that I may, might win more of them. Then going on in 21 and 22, it says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Let me read it in the, in the message. The message has a really interesting translation of this verse, uh, this section in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. So we are free to live out our faith and live out our freedom in Christ to all people, not just to the easy ones in church, but to the ones that we see in our everyday life. You know, you spend more time in your jobs than you spend in church. That's where you really need to live your life. I'm not talking about just going out and praying with somebody and then making a quick prayer and going home. I'm talking about living with them. I'm talking about developing a relationship with them. You know, we talk about how important it is that we have a relationship with Jesus. And it is very important. That is the most important relationship we can have with, is with Jesus. But yet we just think then that all we have to have is a prayer with our friend. No, that's not true. I need a relationship with my friend so that I can show them a relationship with Jesus. I can't be just quick to them and say, oh, I'll pray with you, and then leave them. Prayer is important, but it's not the most important. What's, more, what's important is the relationship. They have to know who I am, and they need to know that I'm really concerned about them. If I don't have real love for them, they're going to see through it in a heartbeat, and I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a fool. If I come to someone and say, I'm going to pray with you, and, and it, it's apparent that I really don't care about them, they're going to know it. It's like why I don't ride horses. Because horses sense my fear. I don't like horses. They're too big and they scare me. Amber, I can't handle them. Little Amber can handle these big horses. See, if I get on a horse, it knows that I'm afraid. And I'm not effective with that horse. That horse will have its way with me. And it's not a fun sight because I'm hanging on to that knob thing right there and just squeezing as hard as I can. And that's the way people are. If I go to people and say, I love you and I don't, they're going to see it. So it's not an issue. This is not a condemnation of you to go out and, and I want to be really careful here. I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying. You have to love people. You have to love people. But don't make it a notch on your belt. To say that I did this. Make it your lifestyle to live it in front of them. And as you live it in front of them, you will draw men unto you who then you can point to Christ. And then you can live for Christ and you can have that relationship with Jesus so that you can have that relationship with your brother or your neighbor or your employer or your employee or your person at your job site, whoever it is. So the relationship has to be there. We're free to act in mercy, compassion, and generosity 
Colossians 3, 12-14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Exactly what we talked about in Sunday school today. Unity. You have to be bound in unity of love. If we're not there, we're not effective. If we're not there, we're clanging cymbals and gongs, loud-sounding gongs, and we're just no more effective than our voice. So we have to clothe ourselves with God's freedom that we're, so we can act in mercy and grace. We're free to worship. No condemnation from keeping us to worship. This is a big one as well because so many times we feel like we have to worship God, but yet I don't think I can worship God because I'm feeling like I'm, I'm condemned in my sin and I'm condemned in my, in, in my um, bondages. But yet we're free to worship because there is no condemnation in us. John 4, 23, 24 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, because there is a false sense of worship, but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So as we have that experience, that revelation of our freedom, and then we have that 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 understanding that we are set free, the worship will come naturally. Because once I understand the significance, I will want to worship God. I will want to thank Him for that free gift. And it'll just, it'll just come. It'll flow out from me. And then finally, we're free to please our Father and live as Christ. A very, very important here. Because, you know, we are geared, we are, it's in our nature to want to please our parents. Kids, you may not admit it right now. <laughs> you may not see it right now. But yet inside, no matter how old you get, you want your dad's approval. Is that true? You want your dad's approval. And so many of the problems that are, 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 we have as adults' life, if you talk to professional counselors, many of the problems we have go back to the fact that we had abusive parents that we didn't have that proper relationship with our dad. Girls and dads, very important. Dads, understand right now that you need to love your daughters. They are looking for a husband, or they are looking for a man's approval. And if they don't get it from you, they're going to get it from a boy. Very important that we understand that. Why is that? You know why that is? Because God created it that way. Because we are to live a life pleasing to God, our Father. Inside of us, we want to hear somebody say, you did a good job. We need to have that acclamation. We need to have that, that sense of accomplishment. How many athletes do you see, the last thing they do before the interview camera goes off, they say, hey, Mom, hi, Dad. You know, they all want it. They all want to say, hey, did, look at me, I did a good job. They want to be pleasing to their parents. We have to be pleasing to God. And we have that natural desire to want to be pleasing to God. Because when we have that, then we are then free to live that way. Because we have that relationship. And we are a part of the family. We are born into the family. Galatians 4, 4-7, through 7, in the message it says, But when the time arrived, 
that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those who, of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own son, as his own children, because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of an intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. So this innate, natural sense of wanting to please our parents is the same instinct that we want to please God. You may not, you may not believe it. From the outside, it may, not seem, it may not make any sense. To the world, they don't want to please God. The world doesn't want to. But yet there's something, they're longing, there's a, there's a void in their life of something that they're longing to please, something. That is the thing they're serving. One thing or another they're going to serve. As we conclude this, relationship, or this, uh, this message in this series, do you have the relationship with Christ that you can say you're free with Christ, you're free from bondages, your freedom in your living, that you're learning how to stay free in Christ, how to pray according to His will, you're, that you are understanding and learning the progression of sin, which leads to death. Can you say that the joy of the Lord is your strength? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The relationship must start with inviting Jesus in your heart. It must start there. And after you do that, then you have to continue to live a life being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Hmm. I want to just end the service today with, with a scripture that's going to act as a prayer and a blessing. This scripture is becoming one of my favorite scriptures, I think for good reason, because it kind of wraps it all up. If you would, close your eyes, and let's make this our closing prayer today. And if after we pray, after we read this scripture and after we dismiss, if you want to pray, I'm here to pray with you or others are here to pray with you as well. This scripture is in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9, and it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father, for that message. That wraps it all up. Lord, as we go now, as we go through our day today, I pray, Lord, that the freedom call is real. Lord, that we've experienced, we've been taught, and I pray that these words would not go void. Your word would not go void. But, Lord, that we would continue to increase in the knowledge of God, fully pleasing to you, bearing good fruit in every work that we do, Father. And, Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, even in the difficult times we go through, the frustrations, the daily issues that come our way, Lord, that the joy would be our strength, the freedom from bondages. Father, have your way today in the hearts of your people. Minister to us today and throughout this week. Bless us as we go today. Let your blessing ride on us, Father, and hedge, put a hedge of protection about us, Holy Spirit. Let your angels be strengthened to guide and protect. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.